This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Great to have you along. Uh, I'm just looking out the window here in Liberty Village outside the Zoomerplex. I don't think we've had this much snow toward the end of February in quite a few years. It has been very snowy, which is good for keeping us inside while the stay-at-home order continues here in the city of Toronto as well as the region of Peel. And we will talk more about that later in the show. And Libby will be back tomorrow. She's taking a long weekend. Well, we've got some hot topics to discuss with our Monday Zoomer squad. Let's start with this morning's announcement from long-term care minister Marilee Fullerton, who, quite frankly, offered a pittance of what's needed to improve staffing levels in long-term care. $4.1 million to help train not even 400 new personal support workers. Let's get reaction from the experts. Bill Van Gorder, Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP. David Kravitz, Chief Marketing Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. And Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. Hello, squad. Hi there, Jane. Good morning, Jane. And of course, we always want to hear from you, your reaction, especially if you have a loved one in long-term care. Numbers to call are 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. Okay, guys, I'll get your reaction to this announcement by Dr. Fullerton. And and David, um, it's also notable in that it's the first time we've seen Minister Fullerton answer questions from the media in quite a long time. Well, it is. And the announcement is 300 positions better than nothing. Yes. So, uh, you know, you can't say it's a bad thing, but I think it's 100% optics at this point. She's going in front of the uh, Commission of Inquiry later this week, I think, she wanted to have something up her <clears throat> up her sleeve to announce that um, you know it's it's kind of pathetic in in relation to what the need is and the timing. Uh, you know where were they before? It's a sum of money that could have been found, you know, in the summer without much trouble. Um, so naturally, I think there's going to be some cynicism about it, but I think the cynicism has been uh, earned over a long period of time, frankly. Billy, your thoughts about uh, today's $4 million announcement? <laughs> well, how, how can one be against uh, spending money in an area that's needed, uh, but you can't throw money at a, a problem? It, 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 that's, it's not going to do any good in the long run until all these jobs become more secure, become better paid, and the people doing them feeling that they're valued. So uh, money's a start, but it's not an answer in terms of, of getting people to want to do this very important set of jobs that's been so underrepresented in the last year. And Peter, what about you, your thoughts well, on Fullerton's latest? You know, it's, it's a good it's a good news uh, for Fullerton, you know, like uh, she, she uh, I, I agree with David, like she's heading into this uh, long-term uh, care commission uh, testimony. And, you know, it certainly looks good that she's put, she put out this strategy to hire new personal support workers. So it, it's, it's a good new step, but I, I'm a little bit cynical about the uh, motivation behind it. Well, I think, David, it would have been a, a bigger and more impressive announcement if it had been more widespread. Uh, as it stands right now, it's basically just for... Uh, areas around Hamilton and Kitchener. So it's it's not even in the GTA. And we all know how quickly, I mean, $4 million for a provincial government is is literally pennies. So Well, uh, well that's true. And, and, and the, that being the case, the fact that it is so modest, you wonder where, where would we have been in phase two if they had done this back in the summer? I mean, if we were calling for, you know, $10 billion for training PSWs or something, something clearly that they they couldn't have done, okay, fair enough. But, I mean, we knew in phase one 
we knew when we were sending the when they were sending the army into into some of these homes that there was a crisis in staffing. To be fair, the crisis had built up long before Minister Fullerton, so they they weren't on the hook for that. Um, where was that at action in in uh, the interest you know the interstices between phase one and phase two would have been the perfect time to say okay we're catching our breath we're having an all out crash uh, crash program in hiring such as what they did in Quebec now we've got three hundred people in one region and it's almost uh, this kind of desperate fig leaf I think as Peter said good news it's certainly good you can't say it's a bad thing don't do it but it's so inadequate. Right. I mean, when you look at uh, the 2020 budget, which they, the Ford PCs delivered at the beginning of November, they committed in their budget to an additional $180 million over three years to help existing workers improve their skills in long-term care. So they made that commitment in November. So that, that takes us through to November of 2023. $180 million I mean, it sort of leaves you shaking your head thinking that's the best they could do four months later, Bill? Well, exactly. And uh, the best they can do and uh, no real plan with what they're going to do uh, with it. Uh, are they are they going to pay more to get people back? Are they going to hire more? Where are they going to find them if they uh, do? As David said, this is all... Uh, stuff that should have been done months ago, so maybe it will be coming into effect now. But how long is it going to take to see the effectiveness of this small amount of uh, money, and how is that going to solve the problem across the entire uh, province? Right. It's, uh, it's what what it really is. Uh, it, it's optics, uh, as David said, and uh, it's a photo. It's a photo op for the minister, who certainly needs some some good news. But we don't see how it's going to really help uh, in the front line to help our uh, older adults in long-term care or or in the community. I mean, it would have been so much goodwill, Peter, if back in September when... um it was around the middle of September we started to see the first deaths related to the second wave. But wouldn't that have been something if Fullerton had come out then to say that they were going to be spending hundreds of millions of dollars to recruit people, maybe pay their tuitions at colleges across the province, up the hourly rate of PSWs, and have these people in nursing homes by late fall? Yeah, Um they they could have done a lot of things, Jane. Um, the this is this seems very uh, late in the day to to uh, you know uh, get serious about the issue, and and when you look at it, like um, three hundred seventy three new personal support workers. I, I mean, how many homes are there in, in Ontario? There, there's six hundred homes or something. Right. Yeah. Six twenty. It's going to work out to five per home. You know, which would have been nice when the second wave hit to have five more workers per home. We didn't have it. Um, this seems very little, uh, very late. Right. But well, this it announcement might, it's a step in the right direction. So hopefully there'll be more to follow. Well, it's, it's a half per home, not five per home. It's three hundred times. Right. So it's not yeah, even a full in six hundred homes. It's yeah. a half a person per home. Oh. Yes. Yeah, not even a my full mouth, person. Yeah. My mouth is in the grave. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I know like you're coming and going here. We've got um, our Monday Zoomer squad today, as always, Bill Van Gorder, David Kravitz, and Peter Mugrich here with Jane Brown in for Libby Snymer. I know some of you are on the line waiting to talk about vaccinations, especially if you're 80 and over, and I promise you we will get to your phone calls. But if you would like to talk about long-term care, if you have a loved one in long-term care and you're hearing the little bits of dribs and drabs from the Ford government uh, as to better circumstances down the road, we would like to get your reaction as well. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. David, in the same breath this morning, uh, Dr. Fullerton talked about a five-year plan to bring in some 27,000 new PSWs. So that really puts the 373 new jobs in perspective. Well, it does. And it also underscores, you know, a whole different way of looking at this. If you look at it from the point of view of the taxpayer, 
it looks very different. The government always looks at it from their point of view first. We have this org chart, we have these silos, we have these programs, and now we're communicating them outward to the public. But if you look at it from the public's point of view, look at what we've seen here. We had Christine Elliott promising more long-term care beds pre, pre-COVID because we had that whole hallway medicine uh, hallway medicine crisis. Now they're going to build more beds. Then the Ministry of Long-Term Care kind of does nothing. Then the Ministry of Long-Term Care says, no, no, we're going to bring in PSWs. Then we've got the iron ring around the nursing homes. Then we've got the vaccines handled separately. It's by the Ministry of Health and by the feds. So what it says is the entire system from A to Z is cut up into little bits and pieces, ministries, sub-ministries, departments, sub-departments, and there's this drip, drip, drip of announcements. But nobody has sat down and said, here is our vision to overhaul the entire package, including home care, long-term care, what kind of buildings do we need, where do they come, where is the vision for how this whole thing is supposed to work? It's, It's, you know... Management by press release. We'll do this over here. We'll put a bandaid on over there. We'll do something over here that looks good. And it all adds up to a big fat, uh, you know, making it up as you go along, I'm afraid. I'm sorry to say that, but it, that's what it looks like. Well, no, there's nothing wrong with saying that, that <laughs> if that's what it appears to be. And that's what it appears to be. Bill, do you get any indication uh, as the interim chief policy officer at CARP that there will be any kind of vision for long term care? We do not uh, have not seen any indication that there's any long-term planning and, and long-term actions uh, uh, in the works right now. They seem to be focused on uh, uh, the problem right now, not doing a good job of it, and almost making it an excuse for not looking into the into the future. And mm-hmm. that's really concerning. And and the evidence of that is that we're still talking today. Uh, on this program about things that we were talking about eight months ago mm-hmm. that still haven't been done. Promises made and not uh, followed through. It'll be very interesting on Friday when the uh, Minister of Long-Term Care, Fullerton, and, and her deputy go in front of the Long-Term Care Commission and see if they are asked some tough questions about what's really being done to eventually solve this issue. Right. And I do want to address that in just a moment. Let's go to Barbara in Newcastle. Hi, Barbara. You're on Zoomer Radio. Go ahead. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. This is so frustrating because you cannot throw money at a corporation. These guys make billions of dollars. Why is taxpayers going in and spending our taxpayers' money when these are criminals? And you had a uh, you had a, a guy on last week talking about Rivera having offshore accounts and not paying taxes. This you follow the money, and the police should be involved. Human rights should be involved, and the government is just throwing pittance at people while people are dying of neglect, and it has nothing to do with COVID. Barbara, we thank you for your opinion. Peter, how do you react to that? Well, well you know that that kind of frustration is really building. Uh, you know, uh, David's um, petition, his uh, the, the car petition online. Uh, David was telling me has been getting all kinds of uh, comments from people who have signed it, uh, expressing the, the exact same anger and frustration and bewilderment at, at why none of this is changing. And uh, you know that that caller really uh, captures what a, what a lot of people with loved ones in long term care homes are thinking. Yeah, talk to us about that, David. Uh, carp.ca, there's been a petition there for a, a few it's, months. It's, it's what I'm very impressed with, and we were up over 7,100 signatures now. And when it's all over, we are going to circulate this uh, to uh, everybody in the government. Uh, but what's really striking is how many people, probably upwards of 3,000 people out of the 7,000, have taken the time to write a comment. You could have just typed in your name and clicked on it, but who've taken the time to write comments. We've seen personal stories of the loved ones in long-term care. We've seen the exact same uh, anger uh, that our caller just expressed, and I thank her for that call, but it's very much the sentiment. I don't think the government of the day realizes what's bubbling under the surface and what they're going to face uh, on Election Day in Ontario. 
uh, I can assure everybody that CARP is going to do, do everything we can to make this uh, the election issue. I don't think that they really realize what uh, what the sentiment is. Well, on that note, uh, Bill, it wasn't uh, just a week and a half ago that the federal NDP leader, Jagmeet Singh, was on the CARP annual general meeting uh, talking to his proposal, election promise, uh, to take for-profit out of long-term care and to enact national standards. Uh, That is certainly a whole lot more than what we've heard from the government of Ontario. Well, it certainly is. And appropriate uh, standards for long-term care is exactly what the government of Ontario should be should be put putting in we we shouldn't be talking about who's running uh, the long-term care homes we should be talking about what the appropriate standards are so that no matter who's running them they they're they're being done uh, properly and you know the, uh, the the government is allowing people to get concerned with the the operators when they should be more concerned with what is the is the government doing in terms of setting appropriate standards, monitoring them, and enforcing them? And we've been through all that. Uh, David's research uh, uh, a few months ago showed that uh, uh, inspectors were inspecting by telephone. Right. The reports were being made that were not being followed through. That there were no standards being enforced. Not even the appropriate standards were calling for. So, uh, and, and the government is allowing the blame to be put on operators when they're at the core of the whole issue. Let's talk about some high-profile appearances we've all been alluding to uh, this week before the Long-Term Care COVID-19 Commission. It's Dr. David Williams, Ontario's Chief uh, Medical Officer today, Health Minister Christine Elliott on Wednesday, and Long-Term Care Minister Marilee Fullerton on Friday. There is no live streaming, so we won't hear about their comments until a later date when transcripts are made available. Let's talk about, uh, Peter, what they will say say and what they should be saying. Well, that's going to be the interesting part, Jane. Um, You know, I I haven't gone through the terms of reference of of this commission, and it is a government commission, so I I don't think it's going to be an attack um, on on the government. You know, I I think they're going to be able to walk through this relatively unscathed. And um, that because it, uh, it, the, the government seems to be totally in control of this commission um, when it posts its updates, when it closes it down. And uh, I don't think they're going to let uh, anything, uh, you know, uh, hurt them through this commission. So so it'll, it'll be interesting, but but I, I have a feeling they'll, they'll everyone will skate through it so, relatively so, unscathed. Peter, you think that they won't be asked tough questions? I I, ju- I can't see it. I I, I just I, I could be wrong, and I hope I'm wrong. But uh, I, I I'd be interested to see what Bill and and David yes. have to say about it. Okay, David, go ahead. Well, I think that they will ask uh, some tough questions. I don't. I think Peter's right. I don't think they're going to adopt a. Uh, I'm a reporter fishing for a scandal. You know, posture. I don't think they're going to look at uh, uh, anything more than what the obvious things are. But I do think that they will uh, try to find out what was going on uh, in the minds of the um, uh, politicians. And I think the deputy minister, actually, in long-term care is going to be on there with uh, <clears throat> Minister Fullerton, perhaps explaining, uh, uh, you know, his 200000 uh, salary in terms of the performance. I would certainly ask about that, but they, they may not. They may not. But I, I, I agree kind of with Peter. I don't think it's going to be argumentative and gotcha, but I do think they're going to have to step up and explain uh, why why they allowed what happened to, to unfold. And Bill, what are your thoughts on uh, the questioning? I mean, Dr. David Williams, he would be less implicated if there if if there were if it was to come out that there has been a scandal with long term care. Yeah, it's it's going to be very interesting. One, of course, as you say, we don't we can't watch these live, but they have been putting out the transcripts very uh, uh, very soon after each of the meetings, and I've been uh, uh, running through a number of them. The the uh, meeting of the commission uh, last Friday is is already up on the the website, and that's an interesting one because it allowed families of loved ones to talk about their concerns long-term 
care, and they were very vocal and very frank about uh, their issues. Will will the members of the commission ask uh, the tough uh, questions? And even more so, will the transcript come out as quickly for the sessions this week as they have been for the last uh, uh, couple of months with the other sessions that have kind of flown under the radar? And I think that will tell us how willing the government is to uh, air its laundry in public. Well, if that is the case, you three will be speaking with Libby about this a week from yeah. today. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yes. and, uh, we'll be, and we'll be we watching. Will, the, we will anyway. Yeah, exactly. We'll be, we'll be watching the website uh, daily for the uh, transcripts. Anybody who's interested, just go on to the Long-Term Care Commission uh, website and click on transcripts, and you'll see the uh, verbatim reporting of everything that's been been said and there's some uh, really disturbing uh, material even in those people who were trying to alibi why what happened happened excellent bill thank you let's uh, change topics here now with our zoomer squad bill van gorder david kravitz peter mugrich uh, jane for libby and i want to get to your call so just just hang on uh, everybody's very interested in the COVID-19 vaccination process for people 80 and over, especially since um, not this past weekend, but the weekend before a retired General Hillier indicated that that population, that demographic is now part of phase one. Well, then on Friday, uh, General Hillier said that it will be up to the individual public health units uh, to get in touch with people 80 and over about their vaccine and that it could be determined, uh, the process for this, by family physicians. Well, then, of course, you get everybody 80 and over calling their family doctors who've heard nothing about this. Um, so that was a, a misstep, I think, on General Hillier's part. Uh, David, would you agree or disagree? Well, of course, I agree it's a misstep, but it, it goes to what and we, we spent a lot of time on this literally a week ago. We all we all reported Bill and Peter and I that friends and colleagues and co-workers and so on saying, where do I go? When do I get it? What's the system? Is it going to be through the doctor? Is it going to be at a one big, huge uh uh, you know, assembly point, some hall where we all have to line up. No information, uh, what all, uh, you know, whatsoever. And now we've got, well, maybe your family doctor is going to be the one. So I think there's going to be a flurry of last minute, uh, announcements here, which is not going to uh, be very reassuring, but, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, they'll get it done. But, uh, Man, they're, they're waiting a long oh, time I know. to, to well, announce we, the plan. We did get a couple of breakthroughs here on Fight Back last week with Dr. Dirk Heyer for the province telling Libby about the individual public health units, that they would be responsible for issuing the vaccine to people in their regions. And then we had on Toronto Fire Chief uh, Matthew Pegg, uh, who explained to us that there will be uh, a mass public service campaign to let people know what they're supposed to do, how they will register through the portal. So we did get a little bit of information. We still have a lot of questions. Let's go to Melanie in Etobicoke. Hi, Melanie. Go ahead. Um, Thank you for taking my call. And you more or less uh, answered this question now. My question, I had two questions. The first one was, how will I be notified and where would I go? I'm 86 and 87, actually. And I'm living in a bungalow. Uh, the second question was, with, there's so much talk about the vaccine, but nobody really discussed the refrigeration uh, because Pfizer supposedly needed a minus 70. Now, this past weekend, it came down a bit. I still don't know. None of my questions was answered. No, I and I appreciate that. Um, that was some information um, that, you know, I don't know if they found that out later through science, uh, Bill Van Gorder, whether, you know, the Pfizer vaccine doesn't need to be kept at minus 70 anymore. That's, it's a bit unclear, but I, I know we're all wondering about that. It, it, it has been unclear. The communication on all these issues has been abysmal from uh, from the governments and, and officials. Uh, uh, we have read the reports and some of the science, and, and there doesn't seem to be any question that the shelf life of the vaccine 
uh, is longer than it was originally reported to be. But exactly how long and how that's going to affect its delivery is still is still unclear uh, because we what we continue to have is politicians meddling in medical uh, uh, matters, not following the medical advice and making their own uh, evaluations of what they're hearing and their decisions based on it. And if there's any way we can get this province back to following the medical recommendations and not the politically uh, appropriate, then maybe we'll see some progress. Peter, what about you in response to Melanie's concerns about how do I know when it's my turn? I mean, we can only really go by the little bits of information we get, but she's certainly not alone in her frustration. She's not. And, you know, I I go through these um, Ontario announcements and you have to dig through them to to find out what they're actually announcing. And all, all you get is like four talking about the military precision of the vaccine rollout. And then there's very little information. And then maybe at the end, they'll casually say, um, if you're 80 or over, beginning in March, you will be contacted. But but they don't, like, the whole press release should be on the next step. And uh, and an outline here, 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 this is what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. It's none of it. It's it's just, you have to dig. And, and Libby's got to get these people on her show. And, like, it, sh- it should be all out there explicit. And none of it is. So Melanie, I, that, that's all the information there is. I wish we could give you um, more specific details. I hope it's a little bit helpful. Well, I just have to wait, I guess. You yeah. have to wait. Yeah, have to wait. <laughs> right. Thank you so much for calling in. You're welcome. Stay safe. Let's go to Linda in Toronto. Hi, Linda. Go ahead. Hi. Um, I'm concerned about the so-called plan that the government has for notifying us because on one hand, they're saying family physicians will be handling this. However, many family physicians' offices have been closed during this pandemic. So they may not wish to, you know, start up their offices just for notifying patients that um, their turn's coming up. And if that's not available to us, they're talking about this portal, which they haven't got up and running yet. Um, however, many seniors do not have computers, so we couldn't access this com- portal if they actually ever get it running. Well, uh, Linda, what we did find out from Chief Peg last week is that if that's the case, if you do not have Internet access, there will be a phone line to register. Well, I did hear that, and I'm a little concerned about that, too, because we know historically, if you start calling a government office first thing in the morning, you'd better pack a lunch because you're going to be on the line on hold until dinner time or until such time as they disconnect you. And quite frankly, with seniors, our bladders won't last that long. (laughs) I'm glad you have your sense of humor, Linda. very confusing. It and, is. It is. And, David, and did you want to comment on Linda's well, call? Well, I think it's. I think uh, you're right. It's. It's not only confusing, but it's disgraceful. Because look, there's a finite number of GPs. There's a finite number of people. That data should have already been known a long time ago. The only variable here that I would excuse is what is the start date, because that's dependent on the delivery, and you don't know. You don't know for sure till you get delivery. Fair enough. Ontario cannot declare a start date till it's got the, the goods. But all of the other components of the plan could have been finalized and announced and declared. Here's what we're going to do. Here's where you're going to go. Here's the number to call. Start calling now. Even the idea of phone and register. Register for what? To go where? To do what? What is it? Let's say I get on the line. Let's say I don't need to pack my lunch and I'm by miracle. I get through on the whole. What is it I'm supposed to do? They should know that already. Maybe they don't know what day they're going to start, but they should know already what it's going to look like, what the mechanism is going to look like. And they've said nothing. No, it's so true. So it leads you to the conclusion that they don't know. Linda, I think, thank you for calling in, Linda. Uh, yes, um, <laughs> it was on Friday. It was on Friday, and this doesn't instill much confidence in all of us, uh, when General Hillier said, we can't tell you exactly the information about how people 80 and over can get the vaccine, <laughs> but we will tell you that very soon. 
<laughs> That's the pat answer right now. But there's no excuse for him not being able to tell us how it's going to work. It, it's fair for him to say, I don't know whether it's going to start Monday or a week, Monday or the second or the 10th. Let's hope that the vaccine, that's fair. He doesn't have the vaccines yet. He can't announce what day, you know, the start button gets pushed. Got it. But all the other parts of the system should be known and capable of being disclosed, surely. Okay. Uh, final comments uh, from Bill and Peter, and we'll wrap it up for another week. Bill, go ahead. Well, it's not rocket science. Uh, CARP, uh, of course, is all across the country watching what's happening in other provinces. Other provinces have this laid out. They have a plan. They are uh, communicating by, by mail, by snail mail. Uh, with people over over 80. They have it all set up. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. Why don't we in Ontario, with all our high-paid officials, have an equal ability to make a plan or copy somebody else's? Good question. Peter, go ahead. Your uh, final you know comment. I couldn't put it better than Bill. I, I <laughs> echo Bill's sentiments entirely. All right. Well, gentlemen, thank you, as always, for your contributions. Thanks so much, Dane. Okay, we'll talk, Thanks, Dane. To, talk to you next time. Bill Van Gorder, Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP. David Kravitz, Chief Marketing Officer at CARP and VP at Zoomer Media. And Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. Jane for Libby and coming up next here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back, we'll hear from two of our favorite epidemiologists about the continued stay-at-home orders for the region of Peel and the city of Toronto. And we'll also ask, how worried should we be about the COVID variants and their spread so far? That's next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host, Jane Brown. Libby returns tomorrow after a long weekend. If you live in the city of Toronto or the region of Peel, I want to know, are you happy that the stay-at-home and lockdown orders have been extended for at least two more weeks beyond today? Numbers to call, 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-744-740. Personally, as much as I want to get my nails done, I have to say I think it is a good idea. And wouldn't we rather be forced to stay at home and be locked down? at the end of February and the beginning of March, then in May and June uh, when the nice weather arrives. Let's go to the experts and ask the same questions. Joining us are epidemiologist Dr. Timothy Sly at the School of Occupation and Public Health at Ryerson University and epidemiologist Dr. Ray Dianandon in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Ottawa. Doctors, hello and thank you for joining us. Hello, Jane. Hello, I'm certain you both think it's a good idea to keep Toronto and Peel locked down longer. Uh, I'd like to know why, Dr. Sly. Well, I look at it as the as a plot on a, on a dystopian novel at the moment. If you look on the horizon in one direction, you've got the, the vaccine cavalry there, but they've, they're already late. They've lost the compass. So they're stumbling around, but they will get here. It's just we have to hang on a bit. Turn around on the other horizon, you've got the mutants. Right, a bizarre bunch, and we don't quite know what danger they're, they're capable of, and they're heading in that direction as well. So much of our future fate is going to depend on who gets here first and whether they bring uh, good uh, steaming doses of uh, help or, uh, or, or misfortune. Dr. Ray, what about you? Why is it a good idea? I love Dr. Sly's metaphors. I can't compete. <laughs> I just say that we've come, the cases have come down worldwide, but they're down in Ontario to the point they were back in October when we were first considering closing. So it's a strange time to be opening up when we're still at a point where we're in crisis mode. So many of our healthcare workers are still overtaxed, et cetera. And as Dr. Slice said, we're, we have two competing factors here. One is, can we vaccinate enough? And the second is, the threat of the new variants is real. So we're in a race against when the new variants become dominant. And it does not strike me as a good idea to give the virus a head start in that race. 
Okay, well, on that note, uh, Dr. Karim Kurji, who is York Region's Medical Officer of Health, said he felt confident that it was time to, for York Region uh, to have their restrictions relaxed a little bit, which is the case as of today, based on variant activity. So it does not seem, at least according to Dr. Kurji, that there is as much of a concern about the variants in York Region. Do we know uh, as specific as that that we can de- uh, that we can go region by region, Doctor Sly. Well, we it's true we need to be looking at the existing situation in any region before you make a decision on it. But there's some caveats there as well. I mean, uh, if you remember in Saskatchewan, I was talking to a radio station out there way back six, seven months ago. They're very pleased they didn't have any cases at all. And then suddenly, the next Monday morning, they had, uh, I think, the first 25 cases. It wasn't, though, in the south where the big cities were. It was in a distant Laloche, Saskatchewan, the far north. Same kind of thing happened in Kingston. Suddenly, if you remember, they had a nail salon. Yes. And then in the Maritimes as well. So it just takes the one case. So even though your pre-existing numbers are very low, to open the doors at that moment, you're sort of inviting uh, unwanted visitors in, and there's havoc. Remember, all the data we get is already one to five weeks uh, delayed or out of date. So we can't really read those with any confidence. Um, in terms of uh, concerns around region hopping, Dr. Ray, um, certainly we know we're not supposed to, if we live in the city of Toronto or Mississauga or Brampton, we're not supposed to go to Halton region, York or Durham region. But uh, the local uh, political leaders are acknowledging that this will happen and that if we do go, we should observe all public health policies. That seems to me to be a mixed message and not uh, a good way of presenting it. Oh, absolutely. So if you're going to have a regional approach, the one great factor that will make that regional approach go out the window is domestic travel. Unless you have a way of discouraging infection from moving from the hot zone areas to the non-hot zone areas, it's a losing battle right up front. Now, even if you follow the public health guidance, it's unclear if the existing public health guidance is sufficient to control the new variants. That is why we're so concerned about this. Simply wearing a mask might not be enough. You probably need a better quality mask or multiple layers of masks and more discipline, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we probably have to update the public health guidance, especially for those who are going to travel. But you're right. The message should not be follow guidance. The message should be do not travel. Do not leave your zone if you don't have to. So we're really living in a divided area here in the GTA, and uh, obviously our listeners are from various parts of the greater Toronto area and across southern Ontario. I really want to hear from you about how much you've stuck to your own region through all of this, and and particularly lately uh, as we're starting to see restrictions relaxed in areas across Ontario. 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-744-740. Uh, if you're just joining us, it's Jane for Libby along with Dr. Ray Dianandon at the University of Ottawa and Dr. Timothy Sly at Ryerson University. And I think Dr. Ray's little one in the background as well. <laughs> uh, and I know I can safely say that because you talk about it on your Twitter feed all the time. <laughs> Didn't think you'd hear him. Okay. No, no, it's great. I think it's great that you're multitasking dad there. Um, let's get back to uh, the talk about the variant. Dr. Sly, this B117, uh, we got information that we've had on our news here at Zoomer Radio over the last day that the B117 variant, which originated in the United Kingdom, has spread tenfold during the month of January and is on its way to dominate all known positive samples in the region before the end of February. That would be Sunday. How realistic is that, and how concerned should we be? Very realistic, Jane. Uh, The UK is uh, several months ahead of us, and they're already there. It is the dominant strain. Uh, It was about 60% back in December, I think, something like that, and now it's about 80% over the whole country, especially the southeast of the country, the dense areas. And we're just following that. And it'd be a big mistake to say, look what, just like we did last a year ago, saying, look what's happening on, on the other side of the world. It wouldn't arrive here, would it? No, it wouldn't. And of course, it's on its way. It's probably even arrived as you say that. Same thing here as well. We've got to be prepared. The same thing will happen here. It's a, it's a, it's a dominant strain. The, uh, the, uh, the effective R can easily be up by another 
6.4, which puts it into a worrying, uh, worrying position. Dr. Ray, is there anything more that we're finding out even on a daily basis about this B117? We know it's more contagious, but there have been uh, differing reports as to whether it's more deadly or causes more hospitalizations. Yeah, exactly. That's the big uh, unknown. But it seems, at least the reports I've been reading, it seems likely that it's probably uh, more lethal. So it's quite serious, right? And it's I liken this to a movie. Unfortunately, we're in the, the third act of the movie, and the third act is always the fiercest battle. So this is almost done. We'll be done with most of this this year, but uh, we have to just overcome this final great foe. Yes, and it's many variations, right? Yes, exactly. All right, let's go to the phones. We have uh, some Zoomer radio listeners who want to get in on the conversation with Dr. Ray and Dr. Sly. Let's go to George in Toronto. George, what's on your mind? Well, I was just saying that this, my own personal feeling is that uh, they're talking about maybe another two weeks. I think they should go for about another month for a lockdown because if they do open up too soon and things will happen probably, they're only going to have to shut down again. So why not? It's it, the weather is a type of the, you know type of weather that people aren't going out very far anyway. So why not? Personally, just shut it down for another month and see what happens after that. Okay, great question. Thank you, George. Uh, Doctor Sly, what about that? Is this um, is this two week extension a good idea, or should we uh, have a longer time in lockdown here in Toronto? I think George has got uh, some really good perspective on this. Uh, remember now that uh, if we follow the United States, their first wave was bad, the second wave was worse, and the third wave was really bad. It, it, the first, third one was, was, was the worst. And that's, we can probably expect that to happen here too, because, mainly because the vaccines aren't arrived. So yes, uh, two weeks would be the minimum. And by that time, we need to make a very careful decision to see what's going on, looking at pres- presumably the, uh, the positivity rate. It's a reasonably good indicator of how rapidly it's moving through the community. If that's way down less than 1%, then I can think we can probably begin to cautiously relax. But if it's not, then we've got to be careful. People in Ontario should be patted on the back, really, for having got the numbers down to about 40% or 30% of what it was in the peak. Let's not mess it up by, by you know, relaxing too soon and seeing the numbers shoot back up again. Dr. Sly, you mentioned about the vaccine. Uh, we need to take a quick break. But when we come back, the latest on the vaccines and your questions, phone lines are jammed, but I think I've got one more line open here uh, for both Dr. Ray Dianandon and Dr. Timothy Sly. 416-360-0740, toll-free, 866 You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby will be back tomorrow. We let uh, epidemiologist Dr. Ray Dianandon go. His son is hungry for lunch. We can't keep him on the line. That's not fair. You think about these epidemiologists, they become stars in their own right, um, but they do it out of the, out of their own, out of public service. They don't get paid for this information. They are doing it because it's the right thing to do during the pandemic. So we've got Dr. Timothy Sly with us. Uh, Dr. Sly, you're on your own here, but we have a whole bunch of calls. Are you ready to take some? I've got my seatbelt on, Jane. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, let's go to Pat in St. Catharines. Pat, go ahead. Oh, hi. Um, my concern is um, I live in an apartment building. There's 36 apartments. I'm told the cable company is coming in on, on Tuesday from 8.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. to do, and they have to have access to my apartment. My concern is that they'll, I'm the second to the last. I'm, they always start at the bottom. They'll be walking through all these apartments. I have lymphoma, and I don't know, like, I, I will be double-masked and I'll stay away from them, but I don't know. Um, they could be walking. We, we have had a COVID outbreak here one time in the building, and they're walking all these build, through all these apartments and coming to me. What can I do to protect myself? Dr. Sly, what would you suggest for Pat? 
Yeah, this is a problem we've had in institutions as well, with people working in an office by themselves, and then some tech support person comes in or to fix the computer or whatever. And the, the surprise. So, so the idea of double masking is really good. I think Pat's got a good idea there. I, I always double mask, not the single one. And the person themselves should also be completely well masked, wearing a proper mask. If they're not, you should tell them to go away and come back when they're properly masked. Okay. What about their shoes? Like, the, should I make them take their shoes off at the door? The shoes, keep... in, the, in the initial part of this, we thought that would be a major concern, but it's not actually. There's very, very little transmission that's attributed to anything to do with stirring up dust and so on on the floor. However, it's not a bad idea, even for peace of mind, to sort of quickly put a, a wet mop over the floor with some... Uh, uh, Quaternary ammonium, you know, or the ordinary kind of exclusion. Well, this is carpet that he'll be walking through. Oh, carpet, is it? Okay, well, well, I wouldn't worry too much about the floor. The floor is not really a major concern with mm-hmm. rising rates. It's the breathing out that's the concern. So mm-hmm. if you make sure your mask. I will be double masked, and I will. The last, this is the second time they've come through. The last time uh, he was all sweaty and, and his mask looked dirty, and, you know, I mean. Yeah, it doesn't instill a lot of confidence. Window there? I do have open windows. Oh, a good idea. Yeah, ventilate. ventilate. Okay, that, I never thought of that. Okay, put that's put a great extra idea. Sweater, extra sweater because it's going to be chilly. Make, but you ventilate before, during, and after he's there for about five, ten minutes, and uh, you'll be minimizing your risk. Oh, that's a great idea. I'll, ha- I'll have to call them because I won't know when they're coming. It says they be, I have to be home from 8.30 to 5 o'clock. Yeah, well, sometimes they'll give a half hour's notice. So I will, I'll call yeah. the super and tell them to make sure to call me then yeah. ahead. Okay, good luck with everything, Thank Pat. Thank you very thanks, much. Thanks for calling. Thanks. Let's go to Tom in Brampton. Tom, you've been waiting a long time. Go ahead. Yes, I, I'm glad I waited because that, that nonsense about the shoes is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes, uh, okay, uh, on January 18th, thereabouts, uh, Pfizer announced that it was stopped all shipments of its uh, product because there had been several deaths in Norway. Oh, they didn't say that. They said they were updating their uh, manufacturing. But they stopped all shipments after 33 people died in Norway in 22 days. And now, Doug Port says he's going to start injecting old people immediately. Norway says it's too dangerous to inject old people. Okay, Tom, thanks for your call. Dr. Sly, uh, Tom seems to be uh, intimating that there may be some issues around the efficacy or safeness of the Pfizer vaccine. Is that a concern? It's not a concern uh, for just about every independent country's vaccine uh, uh, committee that's looked at this since that time. Uh, there were there have been little clusters. We always will get little clusters. There was quite a large cluster in Brazil, but it turned out that when you analyze it, it wasn't all attributed to the same uh, to the same cause. It, it, there will always be a very small amount of people who react. Large numbers of people react mildly. You expect that, in fact. We probably have about 70% of people who have some local reaction in the skin, and a little bit more people react systematically, almost like a common cold. And there's very few people, a few, though, have been reacted in a way that uh, it's to the polyethylene glycol, which is a molecule where the, the, uh, the RNA is included in there. But I, I'm not aware of a, of a large outbreak in, not outbreak, but a large cluster in Norway that's been attributed to this particular vaccine. But I will check that one out and, and I can get back to you, uh, Jane. Okay, that's great. Thank you. And on the on the efficacy of the current vaccines, um, we're hearing different, uh, we're hearing different reports about how effective they are against the variants. What do we know about that so far? The, we're worried about the, the South African one, the B135, uh, 351 rather. That one seems to be a little less react- responsive to the vaccine. Uh, and that's why that's causing some concern now in the UK, where already we have the dominant of the B117. But now this other one is creeping in there. And they, they're worried about it. The vaccines themselves should be okay against the other versions of the variants, because there's a number of the B117s now, there's about 20 or 30 different variations of that variant, if you can understand it. Right. Uh, however, the the one we're worried about is the South African one. It doesn't seem to respond. In fact, it's so uh, 
so concerning that the uh, vaccine that was shipped to South Africa, the uh, AstraZeneca one, will probably not be used there, and they'll wait until another one comes along that's more effective. So, so in that case, um, are the pharmaceutical researchers, scientists, are they uh, tweaking the vaccine so that it will be effective against the variants? Yeah, luckily, the two main ones we've had in North America, Moderna and Pfizer, are both RNA, messenger RNA vaccine, and they're easy to tweak. They can be done in a lab, and then you mass produce it. It's more difficult for the AstraZeneca one, which, of course, is a is a uh, an RNA inside a, a a common cold virus, if you like. Uh, and that one will be a little difficult to reformulate. This is why South Africa, I think, is going to wait for one of the messenger RNA vaccines to arrive. Let's go to Donna in Wasaga Beach. Uh, what is your question for Dr. Sly? I actually didn't have a question. I wanted to make a statement. Sure. Um, living up here and working also in a grocery store, there has not been a pandemic because the people are still coming up from the city. They are coming to their cottages. They are going in the stores. It's never stopped. Now we have more cases. And they're still coming up on Friday night, and they're leaving on Sunday. And you, okay, and you know that they're from Toronto. You can tell because they're buying lots of groceries and 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 packing up their cars, I guess. Also, too, I live on a street that has eight cottages. Um, the rest are, are permanent residents, and those are the people. Out of those eight, I would say that four of them, half of them, come up every other weekend, come up every weekend. Right. Now, they are allowed to go and check on their properties, but the idea in the stay-at-home order is that they're they're not to stay for an extended period of time. They are not staying in their cottages. Right. Where are they staying? They're staying at their cottages, but they're also going through the stores, and they're leaving on the Sunday. Okay. So they're not staying up for the two weeks. Well, I'm going to ask Dr. Sly uh, to repeat his message. And Donna, thank you for calling in, because certainly we know that uh, people in cottage country who live there year round are being exposed to people who come from regions where there are higher case counts. How can we get this message through while we're still uh, at the at the height, really, or on the downside of the second wave? You know, Donna is, is right, and it's such a, a painful admission that uh, normally people in that situation would be so pleased to see people coming up to their area. Right. I mean, and yet now we're having to say, you know, don't come, for goodness sake. Wait until this thing is all blown over, because the chances are you're coming from a hot zone into a cold zone, and next thing you know, we're going to be as hot as you are. We don't want that. So you've got to be hospitable, but kindly turning them away in some way. That's difficult to do. And it, it, where we've seen the success happen, whether it's initially in uh, in uh, southern China or we saw it in the New Zealand and Australia and Taiwan, it's where they've held on to the idea that people can't just wander in and then look around and then disappear off again because they're going to bring the pathogen with them. They have clamped down on the borders. Canada's got difficult to clamp down on its external borders with the states and so on, but at least we should better do it locally. And uh, we've seen, as I said earlier on, we've seen the northern Saskatchewan one. Who was it? With one truck driver or one camper up there, brought the virus up there. Uh, Kingston, some visitors are there from Mississauga, just one person. That's all it took. All it takes, yep. Yep. Dr. Timothy Sly, thank you very much once again for your time. It's my pleasure, Jane, anytime. Dr. Timothy Sly is at the School of Occupational and Public Health at Ryerson University, my alma mater. I hope you have a nice day. Uh, Libby will be back tomorrow with the strategy panel. Always an excellent discussion. Until then, Jeremy Logan has the news coming up next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.